0: Andy Cuomo gets himself another accuser as the charges stack up and people start to forget about the fact that he killed all those people in the nursing home. Joe Biden pushes for Amazon to unionize because he's really got a say in all of this here. Minneapolis makes their courthouse it, excuse me, into a fortress as they get ready to go into the Derek Chauvin trial and what happens there. And Hyatt pushes back against the accusations of hate symbols that they caused, or whatever it is that the left is trying to push against them. We'll talk a bit about that as well. Oh, and by the way, it is my anniversary over on Contemporary as well. So, thank you all very much for making this program what it is and what it has been throughout the year. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. It has been a year, you guys. We did it. We made it through. I never thought that I was going to be able to come back and do something like this, but here we are. Twelve months later, March 2nd, 2020, was the first day of Contemporary. In February, I decided to start forcing myself to get up early in the morning to start doing a morning show before I went to work every day and just catch us up on the news of what happened the day before. And of course, it helped me do many other things. It wound up being where I went to go and get all my news sources to do what was then Ed's World and what is now The Red and Ed Show. So it's helped me off on that uh, aspect of this, but it's been great sitting here, hanging out with you guys in the morning. And I see a lot of regular names and I see a lot of new names as well. So I'm pretty happy to see you guys here and hanging out and coming in and chatting. I've got Ron Helton, who has been here since the beginning which is uh, pretty awesome here. So, yeah, we've been doing this for a year. It's, It's incredible where we've sat and where we were from the first episode to now because, you know, just about now we were sitting there ready to go with 15 days to slow the spread, and now here we are a year later still locked down with a new president who's sitting here saying that we need to possibly be masking up for another year but people seem to be forgetting about the comic-coup hysteria. Sitting in, looking at the fact that Andy Cuomo, who was once considered a front-runner for 2024 because it was assumed back when we started the program that Trump was going to win the election in a landslide because the economy was still just fucking trucking along. And all that was assumed, so they were talking about Andy Cuomo for 2024, and now here he is with three sexual abuse accusers, in order to distract people from the fact that he killed a bunch of people in the nursing homes. Biden is the president. Biden, well, he still can't string together a coherent sentence, but he was sitting here, we were wondering if he was going to get busted up for Ukraine, and now he's the president. Kamala Harris, nobody fucking liked, couldn't make it past the first primary, had slipped back into obscurity, is now the vice president, and possibly the president assumed. It's been a whole year of this, and I... I'm so excited to have taken this journey with you guys. I look forward to another year and seeing what else is coming from this. And we'll talk a bit more about that towards the end of the show as I get here to thank you. But I do have a bunch of stuff to get to, starting with the stocks, because looking over at the Dow, we had a fairly up day throughout all of Friday. It went up on a spike on the futures, which we talked about it going up on a spike on the futures, and then just kind of stayed steady up throughout the day ending at 31.53551 bitcoin went up slightly as well 48.93490 so it's on an upswing but it's not a huge no actually it might be a huge one cuz wasn't it 46 yesterday so we'll you know see some of what's going on with that and what's going on with inflation and everything else to go along with that looking from IBD Dow Jones Futures is stock market pullback over, NEO tumbles, Zoom soars on earnings. From Scott Latonin. Dow Jones Futures, along with SP 500 Futures and NASDAQ 100 Futures, were lower Tuesday following Monday's stock market surge. Tesla rebounded Monday while Zoom stock soared on earnings. NEO earnings missed estimates, sparking a sharp fall. On Monday, the tech heavy NASDAQ composite jumped 3%, its best day since November 4th. The S&P 500 moved up 2.4%, while the Dow Jones Industrial Average traded up 1.95%. Among the Dow Jones leaders, Apple advanced 5.4% Monday, while Microsoft rallied nearly 2%. In today's stock market, Visa is in a buy range above a new buy point. Tesla raced more than 6% higher on Monday, snapping a two-day slide. After the stock market closed on Monday, Zoom Video reported strong uh, quarterly earnings. Results, Zoom stock surged 10% in extended trade. Meanwhile, Chinese EB leader NIO missed earnings estimates late on Monday. Among the top stocks to watch, RH and Target are approaching new buy points amid the current stock market pullback. Microsoft, Target, and Tesla are IBD leaderboard stocks. RH was Friday's IBD stock of the day and it's interesting we're still looking here looking at the stock market that wasn't an initial feature of contemporary but you know after the crash happened just a few weeks after I started looking at and see where we were going to go and what was going to happen is it was it going to be a recovery or we going to go further into the hole and it came up and we wound up being higher than before so on the futures ahead of the stock market open Tuesday, Dow Jones futures inched lower, while S&P 500 futures lost 0.1% versus fair value. Nasdaq 100 futures dropped 0.1% versus fair value. Remember, trading in Dow Jones futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock market session. On Saturday, the House passed the 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus plan, including $1,400 stimulus checks for many Americans, and. $1.3 trillion of wasted spending in numerous other places. Among exchange-traded funds, in the uh, the innovator IBD-50 traded up 4.8% Monday. NASDAQ 100 tracker Invesco rose 3%. Meanwhile, the SPDR S&P 500 ETF moved up 2.4%. So that's what we're seeing through the market yesterday and into the futures. Let's see what MarketWatch has to say. S&P 500 scores best day gain in about nine months as March kicks off with a brighter economic outlook. They're not telling you about the fall. From Mark DeCamber and Sonny O. U.S. stock market benchmarks surged Monday with the S&P 500 booking its best day of gains since June, as a gauge of manufacturing activity showed the economy was picking up steam at the start of the year. Strategists also attributed the enthusiasm to a cool-down of last week's rapid rise in bond yields that had unsettled the bullish mood on Wall Street and threatened to offset the easy-money policies implemented by the Federal Reserve. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 603.14%, or 2%, to end the 31 51, booking its best daily gain since November 9th, according to Dow Jones market data. The S&P 500 climbed 90.67 points, or 2.4%, to finish at 3901.82, its best daily gain since June 5th. The Nasdaq Composite added 396.48 points, or 3%, closing at 13,588.83 for its best day since November 4th. The Russell 2000 on small capitalization stocks rose 3.4%, and at 22,7532, it was its sharpest daily percentage gain since January 6th. So, looking at what the markets were doing throughout the, week, uh, throughout the day yesterday, it looks like everything... Looks like it's grayed up, but people are looking and saying, Oh, well, people are getting money back in their pocket and hey, it's gonna be it's gonna be magic and Biden's gonna be the president. Everything's gonna be hunky-dory, and everyone's gonna get fifteen dollars an hour. Everyone's gonna unionize and really honestly, a lot of the stuff that we're seeing come out of the federal government right now is going to be a draw and a drain on the government or I'm sorry, on the economy, with the gas prices also increasing, and I'm debating whether or not to add gas prices to the list of things that we're going through at uh, the beginning of the show, I know Bitcoin has kind of settled into, it's not spiking up high and it's not dropping down low, it's kind of just settled into its 46000 to 50000 range, so maybe we don't have to sit and pay attention to that every day, but gas prices, that's going to be the big one coming up throughout the next four years because they're already going up, they're already huge, and that's going to be what drives the economy, what drives goods, what drives prices, what drives people to require higher wages. So, definitely something to watch. All right, looking over at Politico. Third, Cuomo accuser steps forward, deepening governor scandal. From Medina Torre and Marie J. French. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo remained in hiding Monday as the state attorney general formally announced an investigation into allegations of sexual harassment, and some of the state's top Democrats began to wonder just how long the three-term governor can hold on. The allegations of sexual misconduct by two former aides which followed a mushrooming scandal around the deaths of nursing home residents seemed to override every other political priority in the state and left Cuomo at his most vulnerable point since taking office 10 years ago by evening Cuomo was facing a new claim a woman who had, uh, he had not previously met said the governor made unwanted advances toward her at a wedding reception in 2019 calling her aggressive after she removed his hand from the small of her back and asking can i kiss you hey you know what just just a little bit of one on the cheek all right Let's, let me kiss you all right I was so confused and shocked and embarrassed, Anna Roach, 33, told the New York Times, a former newspaper, in describing the encounter, which the paper said was corroborated by a friend, text messages, and photographs. I turned my head away and didn't have words in the moment. The new claim, which differed from two earlier accusations in that Roach was not an employee of Cuomo, added the, to the governor's growing, uh, growing troubles, Already, the accusations by his former aides in recent days had become the single greatest threat to his career and an inescapable subject for New York's political class. On Monday night, following the news of a third accuser, U.S. Representative Kathleen Rice called on her fellow Democrat to resign. The time has come, she tweeted. The governor must resign. Rice, a former prosecutor, represents a moderate district in Long Island. And yes, Ron pointed it out last night and in yesterday's live chat as well. That a lot of this may be coming. I gotta turn my uh, uh, hots down. Can you guys hang on for just a sec? I just keep seeing myself uh, bounce off the uh, off the top there. But yeah, it's <clears throat> honestly with that. It we're looking at this and we're looking at the situation where Democrats now might be looking at a way to get Cuomo out of office without having to answer for the fact that he killed all those uh, people in the nursing home. So definitely something to watch in that and see whether or not that even gets investigated anymore because we're too embroiled in talking about whether or not he tried to kiss some woman at at a wedding or some employee of his or something else. And even the left right now is trying to come back and shift this out into something else as well. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I want to talk about his brother Before we get into that. Reading from Fox News, CNN's Chris Cuomo breaks silence on Brother Andrew, says he's obviously cannot cover harassment claims from David Rutz. CNN's Chris Cuomo acknowledged the elephant in the room at the top of the primetime show on Monday, saying he knows what's going on with his older brother, Democrat New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, but could not cover it due to conflict of interest. You're straight with me, and I'll be straight with you. The Cuomo primetime host said, Obviously I'm aware of what's going on with my brother, and obviously I cannot cover it because he is my brother. Now, of course, CNN has to cover it. They have covered it extensively, and they will continue to do so. Cuomo hit the airwaves moments after the New York Times, a former newspaper, published a report that a third woman had accused the governor of making inappropriate advances toward her at a 2019 wedding reception. Last week, two former aides accused Cuomo of sexual harassment during their time in his administration. And once again, just like I said yesterday, if you elect the mob boss from the mask, Dorian, I think was his name, but not like the dude with the earring that you saw, but after he put the mask on, if you elect that guy to be your governor, you got to expect some level of corruption coming on here. Especially when his brother is sitting in the CNN News uh, desk running cover for him. As CNN's left-wing media reporter, Brian Stelter, pointed out on Twitter, Chris Cuomo was quick to add that he had always cared very deeply about these issues, and profoundly so, presumably, of course, referring to the harassment allegations. In addition, the governor is facing accusations of covering up coronavirus nursing home deaths to avoid a federal investigation. Which may be part of the reason that we're seeing this. Let's have a listen to what Chris had to say.
1: Before we start tonight... Uh, let me say something that i'm sure is very obvious to you who watch my show and thank you for that you're straight with me i'll be straight with you obviously i'm aware of what's going on with my brother and obviously i cannot cover it because he is my brother now of course cnn has to cover it they have covered it extensively and they will continue to do so i have always cared very deeply about these issues and profoundly so. I just wanted to tell you that. There's a lot of news going on that matters also, so let's get after that. Before we start tonight, uh, let me say something that I'm sure.
0: Uh Cuomo went on, I've always cared very deeply about these issues, and profoundly so. I just wanted to tell you that. Ah, uh, now you're gonna take me into another tweet. Dude, screw you guys. Uh, da, 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 da. There we go.
1: Uh, let me say something that I'm sure is very obvious to you who watch my show. And thank you for that. You're straight with me? I'll be straight with you. Obviously, I'm aware of what's going on with my brother. And obviously, I cannot cover it because he is my brother. Now, of course, CNN has to cover it. They have covered it extensively, and they will continue to do so i have always cared very deeply about these issues and profoundly so i just wanted to tell you that there's a lot of news going on that matters also
0: he cares very profoundly people just keep that in mind and pay attention to that and you know there's no conflict of interest here whatsoever he cares so deeply so that's what we're seeing from that But now the left is trying to turn this back around on the right, and I'll read this article, or at least a portion of it, and then I will tell you why this is different. From CNN, women allege sexual uh, misconduct against North Carolina GOP lawmaker, as his biography is under new scrutiny. From Devon Cole and Sunlin Surfati. Republican Representative Madison Cawthorn is facing allegations of sexual harassment and misconduct by several women who say he put them in uncomfortable situations when he was a college student, with the former classmates detailing to CNN on Monday how the rising star of the conservative right would use fun drives as a way to make unwanted advances on them. Allegations of sexual misconduct by Cawthorn, who at age 25 is the youngest member of Congress, have followed him since he launched his run for North Carolina's 11th Congressional District. But the claims have gained renewed attention as the freshman congressman's popularity has steadily increased in some Republican corners following his moves earlier this year to Washington, where he's closely aligned himself with some of his far-right colleagues. Uh, Far-right. And former President Donald Trump's lie that the November election was illegitimate. Uh, Cawthorne has repeatedly denied wrongdoing since the allegations first surfaced, and his office pointed to CNN, appointed uh, CNN rather, to a September 2020 statement from the lawmaker in which he said, I've never done anything sexually inappropriate in my life. The women alleging misconduct against the congressman are former classmates of his at Patrick Henry College in Virginia. Cawthorn attended the private Christian school for a short time in 2016 before dropping out, and it was during that time that the women say he made unwanted advances on them. His M.O. was to take vulnerable women out on these rides with him in the car and to make advances, Caitlin Coulter, one of Cawthorn's former uh, classmates, told CNN in an interview. Coulter said that she was taken on something, uh, something Cawthorn called a fun drive, where he asked about her purity ring and her sexual prep uh, experiences. She says she felt something was off and shut down the conversation. He got really upset and whipped the car around and started going back to campus at 70 to 80 miles an hour. On these one-lane roads, she said, and it was it was really scary. <clears throat> so, Cawthorn, the dude in the wheelchair, of course, is coming out with these allegations against him. And, you know, if they're true, then it's kind of scummy, especially considering the fact that he said he's never done anything sexually inappropriate. But there's a big difference here between what Cawthorn did and what Cuomo did. And it is the level of power that's involved with this. Now Cawthorn is doing something that I'm sure that a lot of college kids have done. Taking a girl out on a back road to go and try and make out and possibly do something more. That was a big MO for a long time. Hell, it was the subplot the third subplot for Greece. For God's sake. So a lot of this has happened all the time, and he got shot down, and, you know, he got pissed, his ego bruised, and he sped back to campus at a high rate of speed. Still probably wasn't right, especially if the girl wasn't into it, especially if she's wearing a purity ring. It probably still wasn't right at that point, but, you know, it's shit like that that happens, and he, especially if he's lied about sexual impropriety at that point, then, yeah, okay, we need to look into this. But that is a far cry difference between a 20-something college student who has almost no power in the world, and the governor of fucking New York, who's the son of a former governor of New York, who has a brother in CNN, at top brass at CNN, too, who can run cover for him. There are worlds of difference between these two. Worlds and worlds and worlds of difference between these two things. So, like I said, with Cawthorn... Yeah, okay, let's look into this. Let's absolutely see um, if there's something there, if there's something that needs to be addressed, if there's something that needs to be talked about. Let's absolutely look into this. But let's not pretend this is the exact same thing, like so many people over on the Twitter side are trying to at this point. It's not. It really isn't. Now, if Madison Cawthorn was doing this as a U.S. representative, saying, Hey, baby. You know, I can get you that intern job if you just, you know, come back to my office and. That would be a completely different story, and that would be on par with what Cuomo is doing. Because now Hawth- Cawthorn, rather, is coming from a position of power. So that's what we have to see with that, and what we have to take this with a grain of salt. Absolutely, let's look into this and figure out whether or not. Cawthorn does need to be either held in contempt for his actions, or what's the other word I'm looking for? The same one that they just did to Liz Cheney. Censured, that's it. If he has to be censured for his actions, absolutely. Let's have an investigation into it. Let's see if there's something there. But yeah, this is apples and oranges between this and Cuomo. All right, let's keep going. From Politico. Senators hope for more Saudi sanctions in the wake of the Khashoggi report. This is from Jesse Naranjo. Lawmakers of both parties on Sunday expressed a desire for the Biden administration to go further in sanctioning Saudi Arabia, who became our ally under Obama and Trump and particularly Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, in the wake of the release of an intelligence report directly implicating him in the assassination of Washington Post colonist Jamal Khashoggi. No, I don't think he does go far enough, although you have to give him credit because he's actually increased sanctions and he's increased the travel bans on those individuals who were directly responsible, Senator Rob Portman told host George Stephanopoulos on ABC's This Week. The Biden administration on Friday released a long secret intelligence report in which the U.S. officials, for the first time, directly implicated the crown prince in the brutal murder of Jamal Khashoggi in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, which used to be Constantinople, in October of 2018. President Joe Biden stopped short of sanctioning Salman himself through the Treasury Department. I'm sorry, though the Treasury Department unveiled sanctions against others directly involved in the killing and the State Department announced a policy allowing the U.S. to restrict visas to those who target journalists. I don't think anybody thinks that the Crown Prince was not responsible, in other words, that he knew about it and that he approved of it, Portman continued, so I do think there ought to be some additional, uh, something additional rather that focuses on him. Portman said that he could come in the form of sanctions or travel restrictions, as was the case for others implicated in the plot. Biden is reassessing our relationship with Saudi Arabia, which is an ally, and I don't think that chapter is closed on the outcome of the disclosure of this report. Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii said earlier in the program, That's my hope. Pressed on what Biden could be doing in addition to the sanctions unveiled last week, the senators noted that Saudi Arabia has been a close U.S. ally in the ongoing conflict with Iran, highlighting the delicate situation the Biden administration is in. Yeah... That is a very delicate situation considering that he just dropped a bunch of fucking bombs in Syria. And now he wants to throw uh, economic problems against Saudi Arabia, which, absolutely, if they killed an American journalist, then they should be held accountable. But to throw it against the entire country on top of this, I don't know, man. We're looking down the barrel of another Middle East war, and I'm not thrilled about it by any stretch of the imagination. I was excited. We went for four years without starting a new war and trying really, 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 really hard working against a bunch of congressmen and senators who are getting paid off by the defense contractors and Raytheon and Halliburton to draw down some of the troops over in the Middle East. But, I don't know. I We might be taking bets as to which... Uh, which Middle Eastern country is the next one that we go to war with to start a new war. Whether a new war over there or a new war with us. So, we will see what happens there. Uh, a little bit more on the Kashagi report. Press watchdog sues Saudi Prince for crimes against humanity in Kashagi murder from Sarah Fisher over at Axios. Reporters Without Borders. Really? That's what it's called. Okay, I can see Doctors Without Borders because they're actually providing humanitarian aid. But Reporters Without Borders, really? A global nonprofit uh, defending press freedoms filed a criminal complaint against Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and four other Saudi officials for the assassination. Of Washington Post contributor Jamal Khashoggi and for other crimes against journalists. It's the latest organization to demand accountability from top Saudi officials following the U.S. intelligence report released last week that assessed the Saudi prince, approved the 2018 operation to capture or kill Khashoggi, a prominent government critic. Aren't you glad you have your first amendment over here? Because yes, they can absolutely get away with that over there. It ain't right, It absolutely isn't right. But other than the U.S. intervening, there's really nobody to stop them either. The lawsuit filed on Monday with the German public prosecutor general also addresses 34 cases of journalists that have been jailed in Saudi Arabia. The complaint alleges that those journalists, as well as Khashoggi, have been victims of several crimes against humanity, including willful killing, torture, sexual violence, and coercion. Enforced disappearance, unlawful deprivation of physical liberty, and persecution. A crime against humanity is a widespread and systemic attack committed by individuals in full knowledge of this attack against the civilian population, RSF said in a statement. The group says it files a complaint in Germany because German laws give them jurisdiction over core international crimes, committed abroad because the courts have shown a willingness to tackle such issues. In Saudi Arabia, journalists who are civilian population, uh, according to the international law, are victims of a widespread and systemic attack for political reasons and furtherance of state policy aimed at punishing or silencing them. The five suspects identified in the complaint are fully responsible, RSF said. German prosecutors will now decide whether to take up the case, but there's no guarantee that they will. And yes, we can look at this as a civil case. Unfortunately, there's no really real way to put this into a criminal aspect like there would be if there was a First Amendment because, you know, that's what they do. They go after people who make them look bad. That's, yeah you know, I mean, Middle East is going to do what Middle East is going to do. But civilly, yes, they can hold them liable for the deaths and wrongful deaths of the people who aren't citizens of the country. And yes, they can go through the courts and do that. So um, as far as going through Germany. I don't know if that was the proper avenue to do that. We will see what happens with that. But the reports coming out are pushing people. And I don't know where it ends. So we will see there. Uh, I've got another one here on Khashoggi from Yahoo News, which I believe came. I don't know why it unloaded, but okay, there it went. No, that did come straight from Yahoo News. Which one do I have that came from uh, Business Insider? Oh, that one. That one came from Business Insider. Uh, Khashoggi reports spurs 9-11 families to push Biden for more Saudi disclosures. From Michael Isikoff, chief investigative correspondent. Seizing on the new disclosures about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the vict- uh, families of September 11 victims are appealing to President Biden, to release still-classified documents about an FBI investigation into the Saudi role in the terror attacks that were blocked from public release by the Trump administration. In a letter to Biden and Attorney General-designate Merrick Garland, an advanced copy of which was shared by uh, with Yahoo News, family members say their lawsuit against the Saudi government for alleged complicity in the attacks has been repeatedly thwarted in recent years by the refusal of the FBI and the Justice Department to turn over key documents. The letter will be sent later this week, after Garland's expected confirmation. We implore you to stop this travesty of justice and ensure that the Department of Justice immediately provide the documents and cooperation we need so that we can finally hold Saudi Arabia accountable, states the letter signed by nearly 2,000 family members of 9-11 victims. We pray that after almost two decades of seeking accountability, our struggle will finally end by the upcoming 20th anniversary of the darkest day in American history. We have waited long enough. The letter comes just days after Biden's director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, released a report that pinned the responsibility for the brutal October 2018 murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi on Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, the country's de facto ruler. The report concluded that Khashoggi was killed inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul by members of the Rapid Intervention Force, which served as Mohammed's personal protective detail and answers only to him. So, definitely something to look forward to, and I would love to see more of what happened with 9-11. That was my senior year of high school, 2001. I graduated in 2002, so it was in the fall. It was homecoming week of my senior year, and I watched... Not necessarily has the world changed. I mean, yes, a lot of people died from that, and that by itself shouldn't have changed the world. But the fact of the government coming together and saying, okay, well, now this happened, and now we can use this to enact the agenda that we want. I am not a 9-11 truther that comes out and says that the Bushes actually did 9-11 with the help of the Clintons in order to make their caliphate and their thousand-year Reich where everybody's peaceful and everybody sits and submits to them. I'm not that kind of person. But I also know that a Bush is the kind of person who will never let a good crisis go to waste. So as soon as he has that ability to come back and tamp down on American freedoms with the blessing of Congress, he's going to do that. And bada-fucking-boom, we have the Patriot Act. But I would love to see the reports on that and just see what actually happened with this and how it went, because we've been fed a lie for 20 fucking years. So here we go. Throw it out. Bring it out into the world so we can see it all. All right. Let's look at Politico here for a second. Progressives push to uh, squash Senate filibuster after a minimum wage defeat. This is from Marianne Levine, Laura Barron Lopez, and Sarah Ferris. Progressives are willing to accept defeat on the minimum wage for now and vote for President Joe Biden's coronavirus relief package, but they're channeling their energy into a renewed push to kill the filibuster. One day after the Senate parliamentarian effectively forced a $15 an hour minimum wage hike on Democrats or I'm sorry out of Democrats' Coronavirus Relief Package, leading liberal activists are racing to turn their bitter setback into opportunity. They need to sacrifice a key Biden priority in order to ensure a COVID aid bill can pass the Senate. With the simple majority has handed progressive lawmakers and their allied groups a new talking point in their long-running quest to eliminate the legislative filibuster. We promised a $15 an hour minimum wage, said Representative Primala Jayapal, chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. So if that $15 an hour minimum wage isn't in this package, we're going to have to figure out a way to get it through. And if that means reforming the filibuster, we should reform the filibuster. Democrats pushed hard to raise the minimum wage as part of the pandemic relief measure, which the Senate can pass with just 51 votes, thanks to the protections of the arcane budget reconciliation process. But now that the chamber's parliamentarian has ruled out adding the wage hike to the coronavirus bill, progressives see nuking the filibuster outright as their best and perhaps only chance at getting to 15 bucks an hour. And further devaluing the currency and putting bored people out of a job. And putting them up on that government dole. Aren't you excited for the government dole, people? And, of course, this is something that's been a long-time a long time argument. Even going back into the Obama days and somewhat into the Bush days as well, because, you know, hey, we got to get our agenda passed here, but, oh, that pesky filibuster, we can't do that. And progressives are holding us up. Somebody else pointed out the fact that, uh, and I didn't put that article in, but uh, another, I believe it was AOC came out and said, no, it wasn't AOC. Who was it? Somebody else pointed out the fact that this gives Mitch McConnell... An additional veto power that he's not supposed to have, which, no, that's not the case. That's what he's supposed to have. Government is supposed to run slowly. Government is supposed to be slow. It's supposed to sit back here and stall. That's why we have local government. Democrats pushed hard to raise the minimum wage as part of the pandemic relief measure, which the Senate can pass with just 51 votes. Oh, I read that one already. Okay, so that's the information that I have out of this that I want here. But now, Yahoo News via Business Insider went back to talk to Senator Joe Manchin. Who they're trying to recruit to get back on board with the filibuster relief. Senator Joe Manchin not ending the filibuster. Jesus Christ, what don't you understand about never from Charles Davis? In a democracy, 50% plus one equals a governing majority. But in the U.S. Senate, it takes 60 votes or arcane maneuvers like budget reconciliation to get much of anything done thanks to the filibuster, a Senate rule allowing a senator or senators from the minority party to hold up a bill which has ossified into a permanent obstacle, and that, Senator Joe Manchin said on Monday, will never change as long as he's around. Democrats in control of the White House and both chambers of Congress are eager to utilize their trifecta to deliver memorable reforms ahead of the next midterm election, which have historically seen the ruling party suffer setbacks. Some of it can be done. The 50-plus-1 way, the $1.9 trillion stimulus package on track to be passed this week, includes $1,400 checks, a $400 per week boost in unemployment, and billions in aid for state and local governments. But a ruling by the Senate parliamentarian means it will not include a hike in the minimum wage, and Republican support for $15 an hour by 2025 does not appear to be in the offing. But, as critics are quick to note, there is nothing in the U.S. Constitution that demands a Senate majority's legislation be stymied in perpetuity by the filibuster and the need to get 60 votes to end debate. Indeed, that simple Senate majority could elect uh, to just do away with what is just a tradition, not a law. Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, is one of two Democrats standing in the way of that. The other is Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema, and he's not going to change his mind. Never, he shouted at a journalist, who asked if setbacks to the Democratic agenda might lead him to reconsider, per a pool report filed by Monday night by Bloomberg News' Eric Wasson. Jesus Christ, what don't you understand about never? If Manchin's party is unable to move forward with other big-ticket items, however, expect rank-and-file Democrats and members of the press to keep asking him the question. Well, they can keep asking him that, but he is firm on the tradition of it. And the article, the writer is correct on this. There is no constitutional provision to have a filibuster. That was something that was added in, I believe in the 19th century, to slow down government, to make it into a deliberative body so that they're not just you know like the article comes out and says just doing whatever 50 plus plus one does to try and get the veto in mostly so they have to sell this so they can make this more bipartisan as we move into the more two-party system with this in order to make this so it's not just majority rule tamping down on the minority which give democrats the opportunity and they're going to do that and hell give republicans the opportunity and they're going to do that Give them the opportunity, and yes, they will tamp down, and they will they will force their agenda down people that don't want their agenda. It's a stopgap to prevent radical legislation from going through. And given what we're seeing, especially given the fact that it's double, and we're seeing a point where we're at another massive budget deficit and almost $30 trillion in national debt, And the fact that it's harder and harder to start a small business in Koof land right now. With all of that being said, I consider doubling the minimum wage right now on a federal level as an extreme legislation. It's not the most extreme that the left can push out right now, but if they can get this one through, then they can go after much more extreme legislation and force their will down on 50% 50% minus one of the country. So we will see what comes from this. I'm sure that mansion's not going to go. I think they might be able to pressure cinema into it because they're bringing sexual orientation issues into it because Sinema's the first openly bisexual uh, senator. But I'm pretty sure this stopgap is going to stay So we'll see what happens there. All right, let's keep going. From Fox News. Ex-CIA Director Brennan says he's increasingly embarrassed to be a white male. Well, I'm increasingly embarrassed that John Brennan still has an opinion. From Sam Dorman. Former CIA director John Brennan lamenting his own whiteness on Monday suggested that other men of his race were acting in embarrassing ways. Dude, I don't care. John Brennan is an ass. But, hey, let's listen to what he has to say.
1: That's why we started with Kate, Katie Benner's great new reporting about the investigation into police officer. It renders, you know, at best hypocritical, at worst cynical and false, any notion that the Republicans care about the lives and the safety of law enforcement.
0: Well, I must say, to
1: Claire's point, I'm increasingly embarrassed to be a white male these days. I mean, what a <laughs> of what I see of my other white males saying, but it, it just shows that with, the ex- with very few exceptions, like Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, there are so few Republicans in Congress who value truth, honesty, and integrity. And so
0: they'll continue to gaslight the country the way that Donald Trump did. And the fact that this has such security and safety implications for the American public, and for the members of Congress. Again, as Claire said, it is just a disgusting display of craven politics that really should have no place in the United States in 2021.
1: Katie, That's why we started with Katie Benner's great new...
0: Uh, She, Brennan, and Senator Claire McCaskill of Missouri were arguing that Republicans had lied about the truth of what happened during the riots on January 6th because they're going to milk that fucking event. For another 20 fucking years. You know, they keep saying in Congress and in the Senate and in the news media that this is the new 9-11, which tells me that, yes, they're going to pull everything they can out of this for the next 20 fucking years. It wasn't that bad. I'm sorry. I don't care what you think that this was. All it was, was a dude stole a podium, a woman got shot by the police, which I thought that was a sin beyond fucking sin, and a bunch of other people got into the Capitol, pulled out their phones and went, that's what that was. I just said that I'm not a 9-11 truther in the last few articles, but. Honestly, looking at the Capitol riots, I'm still convinced that at least something was orchestrated with this. I don't necessarily think that Congress planned to have people come in and get Ashley Babbitt shot, but just the fact that they had a 20,000 page domestic security bill the day after the January 6th selfie fest. Leads me to believe that somebody knew something somewhere. So I don't know. Let's uh, talk about Chris Ray going down the January 6th riots as well. This is archived from the Capitol Gazette. FBI Director Chris Ray to face questions on Capitol riot preparations aftermath from the Senate panel from Eric Tucker via the Associated Press. FBI Director Chris Ray is set to testify for the first time since the deadly. January 6 selfie-fest at the U.S. Capitol with lawmakers likely to press him on whether the Bureau adequately communicated with other law enforcement agencies about the potential for violence that day. Questions about the FBI's preparedness for the riot and investigations into it are expected to dominate Ray's appearance Tuesday before the Senate Judiciary Committee. He also likely to be pressed on how the FBI is confronting the national security threat from the white nationalists and domestic violent extremists and whether the Bureau has adequate resources to address the problem. The violence at the Capitol made it clear that a law enforcement agency that revolutionized itself after the September 11, 2001 attacks to deal with international terrorism is now scrambling to address homegrown violence from white Americans. Yep, and they're going to judge you by your race, too. President Joe Biden's administration has tasked his National Intelligence Director to work with the FBI and Department of Homeland Security to assess the threat. Ray has kept a notably low profile since the violent mob of insurrectionists, stormed into the Capitol and took selfies and got nonviolently herded back out two months ago. Though he has briefed lawmakers privately and shared information with local law enforcement hearings, Tuesday's oversight hearing will mark Ray's first public appearance before Congress since before November's presidential election. The FBI is facing questions over how it handled intelligence in the days ahead of the riot and whether warnings of it had potential violence reached the correct officials. Last week, for instance, the acting chief of the Capitol Police said a January 5th report from the FBI made its way to investigators within the police force and the department's intelligence unit but was never sent up the chain of command. The report warned about concerning online posts foreshadowing a war in Washington the following day. The FBI has said the report, which it says was based on uncorroborated information, was shared through its Joint Terrorism Task Force. And that's going to be the hearing that I'm actually going to be interested to see. Because I want to see exactly what it was the FBI knew. And honestly, if there was some sort of other government involvement going to this. Speaking of security in the Capitol at this point, I've got one here from Upper Michigan Source, TV6 out of Gwynn, Michigan. Michigan National Guard, Representative Bergman responds to reports of substandard food provided to troops during D.C. deployment. From TV6 News Team, the Michigan National Guard and U.S. Congressman Jack Bergman are responding to reports of substandard food served to troops while on deployment in Washington, D.C. According to pictures from TV6 sources, some food provided to guard troops was not edible. A Barstool Sports Post also shares uh, photos it received on the matter. The Michigan National Guard released the following statement to TV6 and Gray News when asked for more information. The Michigan National Guard finds the reports of undercooked and poorly prepared food provided to our service members in Washington, D.C. very concerning. The first-hand accounts and pictures of undercooked food being served clearly show that what is being given to Michigan service members is unacceptable as soon as the first reports were received. Governor Whitmer Called Acting Secretary of the Army, John E. Whitley, to communicate Michigan's concerns, other Michigan senior leaders also engaged at the highest levels of the federal government to inform those in charge and ensure they knew about our displeasure with the conditions. Every assurance was given that the issue would be addressed and corrected. So, as we all know, there's still military security over in the Capitol at this point. They're still doing that. They're still talking about that, and... We don't know when that's all going to go away. Um, Supposedly, it's going to be going away on Thursday. March 4th is the next event that they're going to try and do something with, but I don't think it's going to go away. I think they're getting too comfortable with keeping them all under lock and key for as much as they can. But, you know, we've talked about this in the National Guard before. I don't know if this is true because no other state has come forward with any other allegations of this, but I also know the fact that As soon as they were done with the Capitol building and done with everything that they thought they were going to do on Inauguration Day, they were sending people not out to sleep in the parking garage, as we talked about on the Red Net Show, because these are National Guard troops, so they have hotels. And some of the states have called their National Guards home, like Florida. But they were sent out there and shoved out there on a 30-degree day to go and take their breaks because they had nowhere else to go with one outlet. So, I mean, treatment of the National Guard soldiers in DC, they've got a record of that being shitty already. So I have no corroboration for this, but I believe it. I believe it's possible. Definitely needs another look into uh, conditions, definitely needs an investigation into it, but I believe it's possible. And we will see what comes back up out of this. All right, let's go to Insider, Archived, of course, because they don't let you read the articles if you have an ad blocker on. Easy Ad Blocker is one of the best ad blockers out there, by the way, and it's free, so give them a check if you're sick of looking at ads. And archive.vn will put everything right up so that... If you get the ad blocker notice and you put the link into archive.vn, it'll give you the page, whether somebody archived it before or Whether it's a new archive without the ad blocker interruption up in front of you. All right. From Insider, Hyatt Hotels says it's taking claims that the CPAC stage was inspired by a Nazi rune very seriously and called the hate symbol abhorrent. Hyatt Hotels Corporation called the hate symbols abhorrent after the stage at the 2021 Conservative Political Action Conference, which took place at Hyatt Hotel, resembled a Nordic rune that appeared on Nazi uniforms. CPAC was held Thursday to Sunday at the Hyatt Regency in Orlando, Florida. Some people on social media noted that the event stage, which hosted speakers, including the former president, was in the shape of an Odal rune, with tweets like this going viral. Has anyone noticed the shape of the CPAC stage? It's the Odal rune, SS insignia. It wasn't the SS first off, because the SS was legitimately two S's side by side. It was an obscure regiment of Nazi soldiers who were working, I believe, in the Aral Mountains. I don't know, I looked into this specifically for what we talked about last night on the Red Net show. As Insider's Kelsey Vlamis reported, the symbol was used on some Nazi uniforms and has since been used by some white supremacists, but it is a centuries-old symbol that has also been used in non-extremist contexts. We take the concern raised by the prospect of symbols of hate being included in the late-stage uh, design, at CPAC 2021 very seriously, as all such symbols are abhorrent and unequivocally counter to our values as a company, Hyatt Hotels Corporation said in a Sunday statement, according to Reuters. So, Hyatt uh, added that the stage design and all other logistics were managed by the American Conservative Union, the group that organizes the conference, and not the hotel group, Reuters reported. Honestly just looking at the fact that they've got two catwalks going back uh, beyond the stage, and then a catwalk sitting up in front of the screens. Yes, I can see the shape of the room. I can absolutely see that. But I can also see the functionality of the stage. The stability of it, the carpentry that goes into it, the engineering of it, and the utility of the shape. I look at this as an unfortunate coincidence, I never attribute to malice what can be explained away by stupidity, and I also understand the fact that people are legitimately going out and looking for anything that they can do to come out and say, oh look Trump, he's a Nazi, he's a Nazi, look at him, he's a Nazi, he's the most evil Nazi there is, the most evil Nazi there ever was. So people are going to look at this and they're going to find something. The outcome was already determined. Now they just had to go and find the evidence. So, and as I said last night, and as I said yesterday morning, I had legitimately never seen this rune before Saturday. One of the callers on the call in show called in and talked about the symbology. And I had to look it up because I had never seen this rune before, ever. But apparently it's the most well-known symbol. Move over, swastika. We have the Odal rune now. So, that's what we see from that. Alright, I've got one here from the New York Post. Trump and Melania got the COVID vaccine before leaving the White House. From Stephen Nelson. Don had the commie fucking koof already. Why the hell did he get the vaccine? That I don't understand. One of my friends did the same thing. She went out and... She got the commie koof and then went out and got the vaccine anyway. Both doses. And felt like shit afterwards. Uh, This is from Stephen Nelson. Former President Donald Trump and former First Lady Melania Trump were vaccinated for COVID-19. In January, the Post has confirmed... The shots were administered privately at the White House before President Biden took office, a person with knowledge of the inoculation said. Trump, 74, publicly battled the virus in October and was hospitalized for three nights at the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. The former first lady, 50, also tested positive for the virus in October, but was not taken to the hospital for treatment. Many political figures publicly took their shots to help boost public confidence, including Biden and former Vice President Mike Pence. Trump delivered his first speech as an ex-president on Sunday to the Conservative Political Action Committee and touted spearheading the successful development of vaccines within a year of the commie-fucking-coups outbreak. So, this is supposed to be this massive scandal, the fact that he went out and he got the vaccine. Because it interferes with this tough guy thing and this and that and the next thing. First off, I don't understand why he got the vaccine. I really don't. Because he had it already. Which means he had a natural immunity to it. And I'm not 100% sure why Melania got it either. Because it's presumed, because she was in the White House with Don, that she had it as well, but was possibly asymptomatic. She quarantined with him. I don't understand. But scandal's going to scandal, and now people are going to take this and run with it and say, Well, he's evil, and he's Donald, and he's orange, and... Really? I don't care. Alright, let's keep going. I got one from the Daily Wire. I got just a few more, then we'll do Twitter trending and head on out of here for the day. Democrats consider scheduling vote on controversial gun control bill in the next two weeks. Report says... The Biden administration is reportedly considering scheduling a controversial vote on a gun control bill in the next couple weeks. News which comes as Biden demanded last month that Congress take action on cracking down on Americans' Second Amendment rights. A report by Punchbowl News, which was founded by former Politico reporters, said that House Speaker Pelosi and other House Democrats were focused on turning their attention to other issues that the Biden administration has on its agenda, which includes gun control after they passed Biden's America Rescue Plan last week. The report said the Democrats plan to push through as much legislation as they can over the next two weeks. And Democrats may schedule another controversial vote that time period as well. Legislation requiring universal background checks on all gun sales, H.R. 8, Punchbowl News reported. Another bill would close the so-called Charleston loophole, which allows gun purchases to proceed if the background check isn't completed in three business days. Both bills passed the House during the 116th Congress, only to be blocked by Senate Republicans. Okay, but you still have the filibuster in place. Where do you think this is going to go? What do you actually think this is going to do? The National Rifle Association tweeted out a warning that Biden's extreme gun control agenda would be brought before Congress sometime in the next couple of weeks. Sources in D.C. report that Congress will be voting on Biden's extreme gun control legislation as early as next week, the NRA tweeted. Possible that they will bypass committee procedures. Stay tuned, NRA members. And of course, this is something that the NRA can make money off of, so they're going to actually do something about this one. But when it's bump stock bans, hey... They're just going to roll over and say, no, it's okay. You don't really need that fucking bump stock anyway. Stop stop asking us to do stuff. The NRA is a cuck organization. Gun Owners of America is way better than the, than the NRA. Way better. And as I said, this I don't know where you think this goes past the Senate. I don't know where you find... Ten votes to get this through the senate filibuster process apparently they're there apparently they exist because they're going through with this but the next question is and i know a lot of people are disappointed with the supreme court right now but how do you get that past the supreme court with constitutionalists on the supreme court how do you get that past there So that's what we see from that. We'll be watching that one pretty closely. KTLA5 out of Los Angeles reports Minneapolis courthouse prepping with wire, concrete barriers, ahead of officer's trial and George Floyd's death. From the Associated Press. Barbed wire and concrete barriers surround the courthouse where the former Minneapolis police officer charged with killing George Floyd will soon go on trial, a sign of the deep uneasiness hanging over a city literally set ablaze almost a year ago with anger over his death. Mayor Jacob Fry and Governor Tim Walz, both Democrats, were sharply criticized for failing to move faster to stop last summer's looting and destruction, which included the torching of the police station, anything less than a murder conviction for Chauvin is likely to test them, and the city once again. Jury selection begins March 8th with opening statements on March 29th. Floyd, who was black, because that matters, died May 25th after Chauvin, who was white, pressed his knee on Floyd's neck while he was handcuffed and pleading that he couldn't breathe. Chauvin faces second-degree murder and manslaughter charges. Three other fired officers go on trial in August. Thousands of people took to the streets of Minneapolis after Floyd's death. Many demonstrated peacefully, mostly peacefully, But for several nights, the unrest spiraled into violence, with the stores looted and set ablaze along Lake Street. Commercial artery that includes the 3rd Precinct Police Station, which was home to the officers who arrested Floyd. The station itself was eventually abandoned by police and burned by rioters. Some nervous neighborhoods formed watch groups setting up checkpoints and sometimes armed patrols. The violence finally subsided after the National Guard troops arrived in sufficient numbers. So that'll be interesting to see. What's going to be interesting for me to watch on this one is whether or not BLM comes out. Now, we've seen a couple of things that popped off of this, like on the anniversary of the Daniel Prude um, killing, they had a very brief demonstration. Nothing wild went off of that. It's like BLM and Antifa didn't show up for that one. Um, As far as what they saw in Rochester after the little girl got pepper sprayed, yeah, that, you know, they shook the fence for a night. And in other news, you know, as we approached onto election time, we also saw the fact that a guy legitimately got shot for jaywalking. We looked at that at the end of last week. No protests, no riots anywhere. So it'll be interesting to me if there actually is a riot or a protest coming out. That's what I'm most interested to see. Whether this, well, first off, I'm interested to see the verdict, but Unless there's extreme corruption in the court, I don't see any reason, based on the evidence that's been put in front of me, that this could go into a conviction, especially with the way that they overcharged. What I'm interested to see, though, uh, second mostly, is whether or not the riots come back, or whether this was a political tool that they used to try and put unrest into the country coming into an election. So... We will watch and see what happens there. Let's see what Detroit News has to say. Ex-Michigan Ex-Mich- uh, health director got payout in confidentiality deal from Craig Mauger. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer's administration agreed to pay former State Health Department Director Robert Gordon $155,506 in separation deal that also required the two sides maintain confidentiality about the circumstances that led to his abrupt departure. The agreement is the clearest evidence, yet that the split between Gordon, a central figure in the state's response to COVID-19, and Whitmer was not amicable, and it shows that the Democratic administration used taxpayer funds to ease his departure. On February 22nd, one month after Gordon resigned without explanation, he and Mark Totten, Whitmer's former chief lawyer, signed the four page agreement. The state agreed to pay Gordon a total that represents nine months of salary and health benefits when he released the state from any potential legal claims. Both Gordon and the Whitmer administration also pledged not to discuss the details of the resignation in the interest of uh, protecting deliberations among government officials, according to the deal obtained through an open records request. In response to any inquiries from prospective employers, the employer will state that the employee voluntarily resigned, the agreement said. Both Gordon and Whitmer have refused to say why he stepped down on January 22nd, fewer than eight hours after he signed an epidemic order to lift the suspension on indoor dining at uh, restaurants. Separation agreements are common among private business uh, executives and sometimes among government officials, and they often include financial payouts, non-disparagement clauses, and legal protections, according to experts. The agreement with Gordon speaks for itself, and the State Department of Health and Human Services is looking forward to the future, said Bob Wheaton, the department's uh, spokesperson. Whitmer's spokesman, Robert Letty, said the administration can't comment further on the personnel matter under the terms of the agreement. So, first and foremost, I want to know what he knows. But that secret may go to his grave. But I want to know why suddenly an NDA is okay. That's the hardest part for me, is why, why are we looking and saying, okay, well, when Stormy Daniels had an NDA, it was criminal. Donald was trying to cover something up. And that was when he made that as a private citizen, by the way. Keep that in mind governor whitmer essentially put gordon into an nda it's under a different terminology but it's essentially an nda as a government official and that shouldn't be illegal that shouldn't be constitutional we should have more transparency in government so this tells me this gives me a stake suspicion that he knows something Now, once again, no evidence, innocent until proven guilty. But this is telling me just deep down into my craw that dude knows something. So we will see what happens there and, you know, if he leaks something or something comes off of this. But just the fact that he's on an NDA raises all kinds of red flags to me, especially given how hard people railed against NDAs four years ago three years ago when we talked about Stormy Daniels. All right. Well, I've got one here from Politico. Inside Joe Biden's decision to dive into the Amazon Union Drive. From Christopher uh, Cadalago and Rebecca Rainey. Joe Biden's endorsement of the right of workers at an Amazon facility in Alabama to unionize was the culmination of weeks of private calls with labor organizers and Democratic officials who viewed the standoff as an early test of the president's commitment to their cause. Unions are hoping the message delivered by the video over Twitter is a sign that organized labor will have staying power in the Biden White House and that it fuels support for broader overhaul of federal labor law and expansion of union rights. Democrats approached Biden advisors earlier this year to uh, voice support for the factory workers. Discussions between White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, unions, and allied operatives took further shape in early February and continued through recent weeks. Those involved say they wanted Biden to weigh in with forceful statements in support of the drive to become the first unionized Amazon facility in the U.S. How much of a kickback do you think Joe Biden is going to get Or people in his family, because he's probably going to be dead by the time this is all over. But how much of a kickback do you think is coming from the AFL-CIO for doing this? For making this happen and making this historic decision off of this? Because I'm sure there's money involved with this. The union is one of the biggest donors. They donate to both parties, but they are one of the biggest donors to Democrat causes and to Democrat politicians. And I don't mind people unionizing. I never have. Corporate unions I have a little bit of a problem with, especially given the fact that most of these union leaders are paid from your company's payroll department. I've been on about this before. But if a bunch of people want to get together independent of anybody, independent of the AFL CIO, independent of a corporation, and independent of their company, you know, the money's not coming going to the union from the company's payroll department. It's actually going from people willingly paying in and they want to hire a lawyer to try and give themselves better work practices or actually go out and say, okay, well, either improve the work practices or we all quit all at the same time. I'm okay with that. But this is one hand washing the other. And the Democrat Party and the AFL-CIO, the labor unions, have been washing each other's hands for... 50 years at this point. They are one and the same at this point. So, of course, Biden's going to weigh in on this, and of course he's going to come out in support of that because they're one of his biggest donors. He is beholden to them. And yes, the Amazon workers, when they get their paychecks, they're going to go in there and they're going to see union dues right on the company payroll statement. So the company payroll is paying the union to fight against the company payroll. So, we will watch this one, see what happens there. I do anticipate that this one unionizes, just because of the times that we're in, just because of what's going on with that, and the way that we're seeing politics run. i almost 100% positive that this particular uh, facility unionizes. And it's going to be a historic statement. That's the other part of it, is the historic, uh, historicity behind it is going to make this, I mean, it's front and center in front of our news. It's a Politico front-page news story. So, we'll see what happens there. From The Blaze, Twitch apologizes for using Wemixen after online outrage from transgender activists and allies. Now, I've seen some rumblings about this, but I actually don't know exactly what went on with this and why people were pissed off, but I'm sure Carlos Garcia is going to tell us. Popular uh, streaming platform Twitch, and it's always Twitch, by the way, apologized after a wave of online outrage from transgender activists and their allies over the use of the term Wimixen. While we originally wanted to use a word that acknowledges the shortcomings of gender binary language, after hearing directly from you, including members of the LGBTQIAPPRMTGS plus four, I think there's a four in there somewhere, community on Twitch, We will be using the spelling women moving forward, Twitch tweeted from their official account. Transgender activists excoriated Twitter because the term is seen as a transphobic, because it excludes the possibility of biological men who identify as women. No, it doesn't. It's one of the few things that it doesn't do. We want to assure you that we have and will continue to work with the LGBTQIA plus GRNPPI5 community. We're still learning our good intentions don't always equate to positive impact, but we're committed to growing from these experiences, doing better, and ensuring that we're inclusive to all, Twitch which added in a second tweet. The account tweeted uh, their original tweet that was offensive to the transgender community but screenshots were circulated by those angry at the message. And there it is, March's Wemixen's History Month. Join us in celebrating and supporting all the Wemixen creating their own worlds, building their communities, and leading the way on Twitch. This is what we're fighting over right now. This, this is the fight we're having. We're still losing a million jobs a week in this country. Governors across the uh, nation can't decide if they want to open up their uh, businesses again. People have gone into destitution. Wages are going down. And businesses are going under. And this is what we're fighting over. Love it. All right, and the last one from the New York Post. First ever space hotel slated to be operational by 2027. From Hannah Frischberg. Wonder what the cost is going to be to go to that one. An out-of-this-world hotel is just a few years away from becoming a reality. This decade will see the start and completion of construction of humanity's first ever hotel in outer space. According to the group behind it, Uh, Orbital Assembly, the three-year-old company, plans to begin building uh, Voyager Station in low Earth orbit in 2025, and believes its interstellar resort may be operational as soon as 2027, the Daily Mail reported. Renderings of the uh, Celestial Hotel are cosmic-cheek. Individual pods are attached to a rotating wheel, with tubes connecting the different areas forming an axe, as if the wheel's axle. Yeah, that's what it looks like right there. Guests won't be paying only for the novelty of the setting. There will be a slew of onboard amenities, including themed restaurants, a health spa, cinema, gyms, libraries, concert venues, earth-viewing lounges, and bars, in addition to rooms for 400 people. Necessities, including crew quarters, air, water, and power, will also take up a portion of the spaceship. I don't think they'll have artificial gravity yet, though. As cool as that looks, and as much as they're trying to make that look like people will just be walking around like normal, I don't think they'll have artificial gravity yet by that point. I think they'll just be kind of floating around. Orbital Assembly hopes also to sell portions of the hotel to permanent stakeholders, including government agencies, looking to use the space as a training center or landlords looking to create a villa aboard a, uh, the craft. It will reportedly circle the globe every 90 minutes, and the circle's rotation will generate artificial gravity similar to that on the moon. I don't know, man. I think you've got a lot of work ahead of you before you get to that point. This will be the next industrial revolution, said John Blinkow, founder of the Gateway Foundation, which will run some of the Voyager's pods, according to the Daily Mail, the rotation aspect is vital, he added. Without gravity, people cannot viably be on space station for a prolonged time. Orbital aims to take uh, multi-month stays on the Voyager a possibility. People need gravity so their bodies don't fall apart, Blinkow explained. A robot by the name of STAR, Structure Test Assembly Robot, is set to build the Voyager's frame in orbit once the company completes some gravity-related testing. So, well, it's ambitious, I'll give it that. It's an ambitious idea. I don't know if it's a possibility. I don't know if they're going to get there in seven years, if they're going to develop artificial gravity, but it's definitely, it's definitely ambitious. They also lift the design straight from Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century. Just a reminder of that. And we'll see what happens. I wonder if they'll still be flat Earth after this goes through. But, we'll see. Alright, and the last thing we do on Tuesday is Twitter trending. So, let's get that loaded back up, and let's go see what's on the Explore page for the day. On trending! Trending number one, Dr. Seuss. Because we talked about it yesterday, and now they're taking six Dr. Seuss books including And to Think I Saw It on Mulberry Street and If I Ran the Zoo, they're not going to be published anymore because they're racist and insensitive. So you're losing six books from the Dr. Seuss catalog because they're racist. Number two, Randy Orton. WWE stars respond to Soldier Boy calling the WWE fake. Dude, it is fake. Rap game faker than WWE. Soldier Boy versus Randy Orton. Yeah, dude, it is fake. Everybody knows that. How do you not know that? The stories are scripted. Now, yes, the uh, athletics are real. Triple H tour squads because the athletics about this are all real. But, yeah, the storyline, that's all fake. These people go out, and it's just like politics, too. These people go out and fight each other on screen for a week, beat the crap out of each other, in Congress's case, verbally, and in WWE's case, physically, and then they go into the same locker room and slap each other's asses and go to the same bars and drink. So... Yeah, it's fake, and I don't know why this is even a controversy at this point. Uh, Number three, Vernon Jordan. Vernon Jordan, civil rights activist and close advisor to Bill Clinton, dies at age 85. F's in the chat for Vernon Jordan. Even if I don't agree with his policies or his ideology, it's still sad. So, I'll throw one up. I don't know if the rest of you guys will, because he was a civil rights activist. And an advisor to Clinton, but I will throw one up. I will throw an F up for the dude. Godspeed. Alright, the fourth one, because we'll skip Tuesday vibe, is give white men a chance. The standards that some BM put on BW is mad. The shit they put us through, they never put non-black women because they know that we're loyal to them. Give white men a chance. I don't know where this came from, but it looks like there's an outrage coming up, talking about helping uh, black women go start dating white men. You know, I've never gone out with a black woman, but I've always been open to it. The second celebrity crush that I had when I was a kid was Kelly Shanine Williams, uh, TV's Family Matters own uh, Laura Winslow. She was cute. I liked her. I absolutely would. So, yeah, if it's out there and it happens, it happens. All right. That'll be the fourth one. we got to throw one more up here. Texas Independence Day, apparently, is today. From NBC DFW, Happy Texas Independence Day. 184 years ago, today Texans signed their Declaration of Independence. And somebody, of course, had to comment on the top. Texas Independence Day, won't that be the day Texans break free from their extremist Republican overlords? Because you knew it was going to happen. What's one of the big ones, too, with Texas is, as it's laid out geographically, what the map drawn the way that it is, then the state lines drawn the way that it is. Texas actually has probably one of the best chances of going back and becoming an independent nation. They've got a decent economy. They've got their own power grid that's not connected to the rest of the power grids. They have their own manufacturing. People are fleeing from California to go there, so they've got money in there. Plus, they've got a shipping port. I know, like, Wyoming talked about uh, they were going to secede. Well, Wyoming has no shipping So all that the U.S. would have to do was barricade the roads going into Wyoming on all the other states, and Wyoming is suddenly sitting there begging for mercy because they have an internal economy only. Texas actually has a good chance of going out and being independent. Again. I don't know if they're going to do it or not, but uh, yeah. So happy Texas Independence Day. I'm sorry that you had to come back and now get mistreated the way that you are by people in the comment section of this, but... Good on you for at least trying. You've done more than California has. And that's gonna be it for the uh, that's gonna be it for the day, for Twitter trending and everything else. So let's head on out of here. I'm really hungry and I'm ready to go get some breakfast and I'm sure the rest of you guys are ready to go back to work, get started on everything else as well. So thanks everybody who came by and hung out both today and through the entire past year. Yes, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is my contemporary anniversary. March 2nd, 2020, I woke up for the first time, got up, turned on the camera and said, "I'm Jay Edgar, and this is contemporary, and we haven't looked back and we haven't missed a weekday since, either. Holidays be damned. We haven't missed a weekday since. We've kept going, and even when I was traveling, we had the good Jessica Green come in and host with us and hung out with you guys for a day of her own. Two days? Because it was Monday, no, it was Tuesday and Wednesday while I was driving to Florida. So, absolutely. Thank you guys for that. Let's look forward to another year. Let's keep let's keep doing this. Let's meet up here at the same time every morning, have some coffee, have some energy drink, and just discuss what's happening with the news. And if you are just lurking right now, get those last minute messages in so I make sure that I get your message out there and thank you guys on Friday as I do every Friday because, you know, I don't read the chat as much during the live show. You know, when I'm watching a video or something, I'll sit back and hang out with you guys and type back to you guys. But for the most part, I'm just headlines and go so we can all get out and go to work. But uh, on Friday, I do make sure to come out and thank everybody. And I've got the notebook. I write your name in it. And I let the world know that you guys were good enough to listen. So thank you guys for that. And we'll be back here once again tomorrow and for another year, hopefully. Fingers crossed unless I wind up in Kamala Harris's re-education camp. For more of this, more to hold the uh, administration accountable and more news headlines. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.